Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the TetraCast. My name is Zach Reese. I'm your host. Joining me today are two special guests that we no- normally see, but uh, then again, we're kind of changing things up here on our podcast. Uh, first, though, I'd like to introduce our friends here. First off, we've got Andrea Sharon. Hello, everyone. Yes, you're back again. Appreciate having yes. you on. It's it's gonna we're gonna talk a little bit more about why exactly you're on. But uh, it's, <laughs> it's been it's, a while. Yes, it's it's big news. Uh, and also, I'd like to introduce a new member to the RPG Site crew. He's Honestly, he's been around here for about a month, but he hasn't been on a podcast yet. Brian Vitale. Hello, hello. Hello. Yes. And so if people might recognize his last name. Uh, we've got another person on staff, Adam Vitale, who's been around here on RPG site for a long time, a couple of years now, it feels like. Uh, but of course, now we've got his brother and you're as much a diehard RPG fan as he is, I assume. Yep, pretty much. That's great. All right. So and then... Um, so we've got you on. Unfortunately related. Yeah, it's weird because like you're you and Adam Vitale are twin brothers. Uh, me and my brother Adam Reese uh, are also twin brothers, and so we've that's got, not confusing at no, all. No, we've got oh, two wow. sets of twins on RPG side staff now. So I, and they're since, both in depth. And you're from yeah, you're from Iowa, and we're from Iowa, so it's it becomes even more coincidental uh, that that happens. We're all secretly the same person. Yes, you, it, just, <laughs> it just so happened like early on at birth, you decided to move over to Davenport, and we stuck in Des Moines. That's just how it was. Uh, so great. Um, so people that may have known, uh, we did a podcast just a week ago. I did mention at the very end. I know the ending parts of a disc of a podcast aren't very popular. People t- tend to tune out shortly after news is done. Um, we did mention that we're going to start doing our podcast more frequently, just because there's been so much news to go over lately, especially at this time of year, and we wanted to be able to keep on top of that without rushing through all the news. Uh, at once uh, it can lead to a lot of rambling we found out so um, in order to sort of avoid that from happening again we'll do these weekly podcasts they won't be very long we're kind of aiming for an hour this first one is definitely going to go on a little bit longer just because there's a lot to talk about once again as there always is as i just said so uh, before we get into that though um, the biggest news of the day really as of this recording we first like to always talk about the games that we've been playing so uh, to lead that all off, first, Andrea, you've been playing quite a bit, I notice. Uh, why don't yeah. you talk to us about uh, Dragon Quest Builders? I'm super interested in this game. I keep saying that. Uh, how, how have you been enjoying that so far? So I love it. Um, it was kind of like a gem of 2016. It was something that I picked up this season uh, expecting kind of to play it for a couple hours and put it down. Um, And I actually played it a night before I had to get up really early. So I was like, I'm going to play for like two hours and then I'll go to bed. And I played that game for like eight hours and suddenly it was 4 a.m. And I slept for like three hours. It was really bad. You're still in school too, right? But it was such a good game. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I am. I'm in grad school. So it was a bit of a, it was a rough day, but I came home and I played it again. I've sunk so much time into that game, but I haven't made a lot of progress just because I keep destroying my towns and rebuilding them because it's a ton of fun. Um, So apparently a lot of people have like beaten the game in the time that it's taken me to get halfway through it. But the the building is just so fun and the world is so cute. So I I kind of love it. 
Um, other than that, I've been grinding Final Fantasy X. I've been playing right. that game for several years now. <laughs> um, the the Vita version. Have you it actually managed like to beat that game? Actually, now that we talked yeah, about it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I beat it forever <laughs> ago. It's just that since it's an RPG, I always complete RPGs. Well, I try to to the fullest extent that I can. So I really wanted the platinum for that game. Oh, um, that's right. You mentioned you were trying to aim for the platinum and how complicated that can be. I can never do yeah. that. Even back when I was playing and I still like the game, I, I could not do the Thunder Plains uh, thing because my time is just way off. I have no rhythm <laughs> whatsoever. How many hours have you been staring at the sphere grid? Oh my gosh. I think I'm like 110 hours into that game. Oh my gosh. Um, it's it's rough. Um, I actually still haven't done the Blitzball crap though. I hate Blitzball so much. I know some people are like Blitzball diehards, but I hate it. You I just, just hide behind the goal for it. a little while, and then you come out when they get it's, close. <laughs> it's not that hard. It's just so boring. <laughs> I would rather play Chocobo Hot and Cold. Um, you mentioned like you said yeah. 110 hours. Actually, now that I think about it, that doesn't seem like dr- drastically long. Just because I I know people that have played that game for like uh-huh. maybe 800 hours. You know, just right. ridiculously addicted to that. But considering how much time you have to spare to games yeah. in the first place, I assume that's that's just like all the free time that you've got at this point, right? Yeah, it's like an hour every other night that I just grind a little bit oh, to, to well, yeah, put the, little the post, the post game in that is very like limited and straightforward. It's a lot of time in the monster arena and a lot of time on right. the street. Absolutely. So. so I've been doing that. And then, of course, Zach, you know, we've been playing Xenosaga yes. just a little bit on stream. <laughs> Hopefully oh, well. come December, I'll actually be able to knock it out. I'm really excited about it. I've been having a blast with it, even though I have like purposefully handicapped myself like twice in that game. <laughs> no, yeah. But um, I'm like, oh, let me save my money and not buy anything and then come a boss fight. And it's like, wow, I should have bought. We did bit. get some messages from some people when I was like streaming um, on a- another game that they're like, let's just do what Andrew does. Like, don't spend any money whatsoever and then go out and complain about <laughs> dying so quickly. <laughs> how it works. Yeah, it's it's we were talking about it before that um, if people who didn't watch the stream about how it's it's like the strategy. Are you the type of person who spends all their money uh, that they have on their person before they go out and fight and any sort of dungeon or boss battle? Or are you the person that kind of saves and decides to use it later if they think that there might be like a strong weapon that they might purchase? My right. angle is that, you know, I try to spend all the money I can just because the best weapons tend to be out in the field. You're, you're, you tend to be the one who kind of, you know, saves you money a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely am. I think as as we saw, even though I've beaten Xenosaga before, I do that like in every game. Though I will like hold on to my money to the very end, and I did that in Final Fantasy X as I've been playing, and I don't need to do that at all. You get a like, lot of that money game towards is, the end of that. <laughs> it's you got to save it for that summon, your Jimbo. Right? right. Oh, gotta, yeah, I, I did have to pay him a lot. I, yeah, yeah. So. I, I oh well, will. I'll learn my lesson. Yeah, to be fair though, I spend probably a lot of time just grinding for money at some point, yeah. just because I'd like to spend it. Like I played uh, Fantasy Star not too long ago, and that's the type of game that everything is super expensive. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I checked out the PlayStation Two version of the Fantasy Star. This is the original Fantasy Star, you know, for the Genesis. I checked out the remake that came on the PS Two. All the money has been multiplied by maybe a factor of ten uh, that, that you pick up. Like treasure you get uh, is like a factor of ten, and then everything is a lot cheaper in the stores. I'm like, old school RPGs. <laughs> that's that's how they get you. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, we as you said, a lot of fun with Xenosaga. It's we're trying to get mm-hmm. through the whole series, huh? 
Yeah, we are. So hopefully we'll we'll at least knock out the first one. Yeah, in in the December, hopefully the first one will be gone. Um, the second one, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> I love that game. A lot of people don't. So I we'll think see. we need to play it just for posterity reasons. I mean, I personally, right. I mentioned before, that I only got like an hour or so into that game, and then I keep dropping it. It's been like I did it like three times, and I haven't played it in several years because of that. So I'd love to just be able to witness it myself. I don't know. Well, we'll do it then. Yeah. I think it's hard. People may disagree, but I think the game's really hard. You can't skip we'll two see. and go to three, right? That's yeah. It'd be weird. Yeah. Considering what uh, Brian, you were talking about how you you're, you picked up Xenosaga episode two and the first that was the first time you played this whole series, right? Well, when I originally got into the games, I didn't realize they were direct sequels. I thought it was you know like Final Fantasy. Oh, they're not really related. Uh... And so I picked up Xenosaga two, not knowing that it literally starts ten minutes after Xenosaga one, and I'm like, what is going on? But <laughs> these it two actually guys are talking out... in a verbot. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it actually worked out kind of okay because Xenosaga 2, it's not a side story, but it does kind of go off on a tangent. It focuses on different characters. It's it, it works. So it worked a little bit. Like, I think there there are worse games in the middle of the series you could have started on. But I did end up playing them in order, which is obviously far more appropriate. Yeah, it's like I do know a lot of people who went to see like Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, and thought that was the first movie. Because <laughs> they, they, they made a big deal out of it. And they're like who are these characters why are they all walking uh and we're supposed to assume what they're doing here what's their journey about but luckily that was like the best entry in the whole series so that's the that's that's the thing is that you know the mid core can sometimes be the best part or you can be bizarre and then have a the second entry in a trilogy be the prequel <laughs> i've seen that happen well, before too well like andrea said i i also kind of have a soft spot for xenosaga 2 i i think a lot of the themes on it kind of resonate with me because it focuses on like the like the brotherhood of the urtvs and it kind of yes. focuses away from like Xion and uh cosmos which i wasn't as interested in so that's i don't know i like it that's very true uh i'm i'm, I'm interested in checking that out but brian you know now that we're talking about you i uh, Talk about this game you've been playing. I I heard a lot about this game. Alex seemed to love this, uh, Dragon's Dogma Dark Arisen. Uh, what actually led you to start playing that game? Well, it was released on PC this year, 2016. So early, it like did. January. Oh, I totally but, thought it was like, I didn't Yeah, it well, it's year. like, you know, 10 months ago now, January. But uh, I just kind of, you know, oh, that's interesting. I'll get to it. And I never really got to it until eventually I finally, you know, okay, I'll just bite the bullet, download it and go. And I did play it a little bit when it came out on PlayStation Plus in 2014 or whatever. Yeah. But like the console versions of that game is it's like letterboxed. It's got a very bad frame rate. It's, it's just not a good product. It's some people can see past that and like still have a, a blast, but it just kind of wasn't, I don't know. It was very unfun to just play, but PC kind of, I think gave it new life and I, I have no idea how well it sold, but I do hope that people kind of gave it a second chance. Um, because it's, it's just, pretty good. Yeah. It's kind of it's got it's often compared to like Dark Souls. I don't know if that's fair or not fair, but it is like a Japanese RPG with kind of focused on Western sensibilities, whatever you want to call it, that Western high fantasy aesthetic. Um, but unlike Dark Souls, it's got a very like I've seen it compared to like Devil May Cry, and I don't think that's really quite a fair comparison. But it is more action oriented. It's because it's it Capcom, is, yeah. That's, yeah, that's... it it is a lot more fluid. It's uh, it's it's fast paced for a game that's kind of an open not open world, but a very large scale RPG. And you you have like nine different classes that you can play as, and they all play like very differently, and you can change your character's class 
on a whim. And it's really just kind of, you know, in Dark Souls, you kind of you, you, you put your stats into what you want and you, you kind of play that way for or at least I do for most of the whole game. Where in Dragon's Dogma, you find a you play as a mage and then you find a, an enemy that's resistant to magic and you're like, oh, I better I better respec into something that's not a mage. And it's just and it's just so much fun to try out different things. And then even if you don't want to change your class, you can swap your, you know, your NPC pawns around and just try a different like party combination. So it's got a kind of it's kind of got that JRPG party um, aesthetic, too, where you can instead of just focusing on your character, you can focus on what sort of synergies you have between your character and your and your little NPC allies. So I've been having a great time with it and it did come out this year and I did just kind of want to try it, you know, before before I kind of forgot about it forever. Yeah, it's and that's the thing is that I've also seen it sort of compared to a bit like Monster Hunter. Uh, it's kind of weird that I mean, the, I guess people think like sometimes like the climbing mechanic that's in Dragon's Dogma carried over to like the Monster Hunter Four when that came out. I mean, it, it's definitely different. Uh, like, uh, it's it's more like in Monster Hunter Four, it's more like a, a status attack. It's like you can just knock down the enemy and then you know have that. And Dragon's Dogma is like you're literally like jumping on them. And the, I think I've seen what you're talking about. People seem kind of, you know, torn about it. It's a mixed reaction. Is that some people really like the glitches in that game, or like how you can really break it and have a lot of fun with that, like climbing climbing on top of a really small dragon. So you're just like a big dude on a small dragon, just climbing all over it. Um, well, actually, I've been playing as a mage, so not a whole lot of climbing. Not a whole uh, lot of climbing, but I've heard really good things about the same, But at the same time, when you're a mage, some of the some of the spells take like six, seven, eight seconds to cast, so you got to kind of find a safe spot where you're not going to be pegged at while you're casting. But I don't know if anyone's watched any of you know the high frame rate YouTube videos of some of the magic spells in that game, but they are very flashy. It definitely feels like you're not just you know poking fireballs at them from a distance it, you feel like you're a sorcerer and high fantasy fake land or whatever it's it's pretty impressive yeah like that and the pawn system i've heard really good things about um just my brother uh talking really he's a big fan of dragon's Dogma as well i played a ton of it uh, from what i know and he always spoke really highly about it as well his own experience with that game uh <laughs> it's like it's like this thing like i really want to get around to playing that and then also hear a lot about like last remnant it's like another one of those games from like this big time developer that tried something different um that's kind of it seems like last remnant is sort of western oriented i mean it's still got a lot of like japanese rpg sensibilities but it's got like sort of a western bent more action more quick well it also had a similar like very you know kind of a shoddy console port not very yeah um, actually now that you think that's a good frame rate uh kind of bad loading times crashes or you know tearing and then on the pc version they kind of fixed pretty much most of what the complaints were but uh it just kind of got ignored um i don't know i guess it had already come out and established its you know legacy or whatever and this people didn't really give it a second chance but i think unlike unlike um last remnant when dragon sogma first came out on consoles it what people a lot of people could see through it and said man this would be a great game if it you know just performed better and you know well now there's an option so. yeah considering they the amount of money that they poured into dragon's dogma like at the time it was the biggest budget capcom has ever a biggest budget game that capcom has ever made oh I've i heard, didn't actually yeah. know that yeah it was uh that was the big thing like they put all their resources in the, some of the top talent to make it uh if i'm not mistaken one of the people that made devil may cry was a part of it as well uh but from what I've saw, like when you looked at Steam charts when that game came out, it was pretty much up there. It was really high up there in like the top three or top, at least top five. And so I assume it did really well. And Capcom, you know, from then on, 
uh, uh, prior to that, but also from then on, I think they're taking PC more seriously. Um, so I'm curious to see what else they're going to do with that. I mean, the Monster Hunter is already available on PC, at least in Japan, with Monster Hunter Frontier. Uh, that game recently got announced for like the the current gen consoles. I think it's coming to yeah, it's Xbox One and PC. It was already available on Xbox 360 and PC, so it made sense it would continue on just to keep the uh, audience that was there. But um, I wonder if they ever decide ever decide to lo- localize it, or else we're gonna have to wait to like the Nintendo Switch, I guess. But if we're talking about PC entries on that stuff, it's but you said it's like it gets kind of broken, but it's so weird how you know that some developers can buck the trend and then release a really strong PC port. Like you've got that Capcom with Dragon's Dog, but then you got like Sega with Valkyria Chronicles. And so I'd love to see them do more with that. It seems like even Nier is coming to Nier Automata is coming to steam as well. And so this whole like, uh, pattern of releasing them on PC, even if they might not release perfectly, at least you have a community that'll do their best to make it, uh, worth the money. Hopefully. Right. Uh, but then you also, I don't know how much you can talk about this, but you're also playing uh, Tyranny from um, Obsidian, the makers of Pillars of Eternity right. and yep. KOTOR 2 and uh, Fallout New Vegas. Uh, how much can you talk about that? And if you could talk about a bit, uh, just talk about I believe I can talk about Act 1, which is plenty because I yes. can kind of set up what the, what the gameplay is. Um, well, if anyone has played Pillars of Eternity, you kind of know exactly what you're getting here. It feels like the same game in a different wrapper which I don't know if anyone, either of you have played it, but Pillars of Eternity was pretty pretty damn good. So oh, on my heard. list. Yeah. Darren, it's on yeah, my it's, list. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so this, this is obviously a game that used kind of the foundation that they set up like engine-wise or whatever to, you know, put out the same sort of title and obviously just make it, you know, in a different, in a different verse and different uh, format. So Tyranny kind of takes place where you are a, a title of a fate binder where you're working underneath someone who is trying to conquer a set of countries called the Tearslands or the Tears. And the general flow of the game is that there are a number of people and factions and areas that are all going to have different, you know, reputation or different thoughts of you based on your actions. And you can decide who you want to, uh, you know, ally with, who you want to just kind of, you know, rub off and not really care about or give them much of your, much of your time or effort. And I mean, that sounds like typical kind of, you know, obsidian fair where you talk about even, even all the way back to Knights of the Old Republic or Fallout New Vegas, you've got the different factions in, in those games where you, your actions on your quest are going to determine how they, how they behave towards you. Um, but some of the interesting things about tyranny is that, the, the very first part of the game is called the conquest mode where you kind of you kind of write in where your um what your actions were before the start of the game like what did you do when you were sieging the city of of so and so and you don't exactly know when you're making those decisions at the start exactly how it's going to trickle down into the game and then un- until you realize you'll you'll walk into a certain country and then they'll immediately hate you and you're like oh these are the people that got evicted from that city that i burned down in the in the conquest mode <laughs> oh, wow. and you don't you don't yeah. know that when you're starting and obviously like any obsidian game so much of the dialogue between the characters is uh very very dense it's a lot of reading um i think a lot of it can be interesting a lot of it does feel like too much um, I guess I'll start with the positives and then the negatives. Uh, there's a there's a character in the game. There's like seven playable characters or whatever, and one of them is named S- uh, Siren, as like a as like a play on Siren. 
And I can't, I don't, I think you get her after act one. So I don't want to say too much about her, but I just think she has a, she has a really cool backstory. I kind of, sometimes when these, when the dialogue boxes get too long or too wordy, you kind of just kind of look and kind of skip through it or, you know, skim it. But this one, I was, I was like hooked, like just learning about her, how, how she came to be who she was. And it was just a really powerful backstory. And I wish I could say more, but if, if you're deciding on who to put in your party, uh, when you're playing tyranny, put Siren in your party and get to know her more. Cause it, she's very interesting. Um, and then as for some of the negatives, there is so much dialogue that sometimes it feels just kind of like a waste. For instance, I picked up this, I picked up this item and it had about like a, a 200 word tool tip. And I'm like, oh, let me just read this. <laughs> I'm exaggerating, but it had a long tool tip. And let me just read through this. And I kind of read through it. I think it was like scraps of arrow bolts or something like that. And like so-and-so used it and it was found and this was how it was put together. And then at the very end, it said, can be sold to a merchant for spare parts. Like they put that much effort into the flavor text of an item that only purpose was to sell to a merchant. Like you couldn't craft with it. It, You couldn't (laughs) make equipment with it. It was just kind of like, really? Like they put, it's it's kind of endearing that they put that much, you know, thought into the lore of this verse. But at the same time, it's just kind of like, I don't know, all that for a scrap item just kind of rolls your eyes a little, a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. It reminds me of a Skyrim. Uh, in those games where it's like you can pick up a book off the shelf and it's got a ton like it's got a huge story inside of it uh but then it's mostly used to like increase your stats or like your magic or something like that but you could read that book if you want to but you don't have to and that kind of reminds me of that it's about world building it's about like giving people that kind of uh uh, access if they want kind of like deus ex when you look through terminals and computers and email and stuff like that but that's in a game like that, I don't know. Uh, I, I, well, one of the things I really liked about that they set up is that in all the dialogue boxes, whenever uh, an important character is mentioned or a location, it'll be highlighted and you can like mouse over it to kind of say, oh, who's that character again or what's that place? Nice, and it'll, it'll, nice. you can kind of kind of refresh your memory on oh who's he talking about or what's that area and then like you're you have like a history of where what you've what characters you've learned about or, or interacted with before and it's just really neat but at the same time if you're not interested in all that if you just kind of want to get to the meat and potatoes there are settings uh within the, within the configuration where it'll show you on the dialogue options this this one will get will gain you favor with this faction, or this one will will uh, gain you or lose you loyalty with this person. So you can kind of learn know what the dialogue options, how their what their effects will be before you you know without having to like scour through and kind of put together the characters uh, you know motivations or their or their uh, behavior their personality. So it kind of does streamline it a bit if you've got that option checked. It won't. It won't. Um. It won't. You know. Allow you to preempt everything because you still got things like that conquest mode, which is gonna affect you no matter what you do. But it does allow you to kind of say, oh, if I choose these dialogue options, this character is gonna like me more. Or this character is gonna hate me more, or whatever. It, it kind of reminds me of uh, in Baldur's Gate when you would. I don't know how much you played that. I. I think you and you. I did Adam not. Say, no. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Um. Oh yeah, sorry. I was I was confusing. Like you play a lot of Baldur's Gate with you playing a lot of Age of Empires, because <laughs> I know Adam Adam talked about that. Um, for me though, like it reminds me of Baldur's Gate because like there's ways to you set, but this is more like neutrality levels or like your like chaotic neutral or chaotic well, evil the, and all the, stuff. Like when you'd walk into that's... town and the whole town is against you, like you get out of here or like you might keep come across like racist uh, citizens and stuff like that that attack you just because you're like a half elf or something. 
Right. And the one, the last thing I'll say about the system is that I think one thing that's really nice and neat about it is that sometimes in these games, you kind of try to get in the habit that you want to please everyone. Like, oh, I just want to, I just want to cater to everyone's whims because I want all the side quests or I want all the goodies that they get. But in this game, you, you gain either loyalty or you gain wrath and they're kind of independent from each other. Like if you piss someone off that you're going to gain their wrath or their fear, or if you, um, if you please them or do nice things for them, you'll gain their loyalty or respect. And both of those are just different forms of reputation. So if you're talking to a character in your party, just like a, a typical Obsidian game, sometimes they won't reveal things about themselves until your reputation is high enough. But it doesn't matter if it's loyalty or if it's wrath. It's not like you've got to feel like, oh, this person's a jerk. I better act like a jerk around them. Or this person's, you know, a, a goody two-shoes. I better act like that around them. You can kind of create your character and whatever reputation you get with that character, you get get what it is. And it doesn't matter if it's positive or negative because you'll get the reputation needed to kind of unveil their story or whatever, even if you end up being at odds with a specific character. So I thought that was kind of neat. That, uh, the, yeah, the, the two bars aren't, it's not like you gain loyalty at the expense of wrath or something like that. It's, it's just two separate kind of counters or whatever. It sounds like compared to Pillars of Eternity, um, as someone who unfortunately hasn't played the game, but I read enough about it, it seems like they're putting more effort into the world building in this, in this game than they did with Pillars of Eternity. Is that kind of the right. feeling you've got? Yeah, some of the some of the actual gameplay maps are kind of small. Like when you're actually going out and trying to, uh, you know, actually going in into encounters or whatever, they're actually a little bit limited. But the kind of the the, the spacing in between is really strong. The dialogue and the interactions and the reputation and how you how you um, interact with the characters and complete their quests or whatever. So it does lean a little bit more that way. Is it? It's the same engine, right? Just improved. Right, yeah, it's. I mean, I don't know 100 percent for sure, but it's. It, it looks, like it looks like Pillars of Eternity in a different wrapper, which is fine. I think some of the art in Pillars of Eternity and this game look amazing. So yeah, still with the pre-rendered backgrounds that we love so right. much. Yeah, I still. I was always a huge fan of that, and I sometimes wish like some RPGs would go back to that stuff. But I don't know how. I know how like old that looks, and then like if you try that game in like 20 years from now it'd probably just look as dated as it does on the playstation one but you know there's still like that soft spot obsidian apparently did have one too and that's why they kind of promoted that with their kickstarter um it's good to see that they're really pushing off on these other projects that they've got um and you know bringing back the old computer rpgs and that in like right i'm i hope their partnership with paradox continues on because i think they found a nice little niche yeah it's like that in divinity uh Original Sin 2 is coming out next year. It's already in early access, but like that whole push towards that. And then you've got Grim Dawn and like all these other crazy awesome games that are really bringing back the the thing. It's it's like that whole thing where it's like survival games, uh, how popular they've gotten. CRPGs are the next big thing just because there's so many of them now on Steam early access and whatnot. And then so many on Kickstarter. It's like that's the new hot word, it seems. Um, And I'm not complaining just because... I'd love to see that. And we got like Planescape, um, I'll, I'll say Ti- Torment, Tides of Numera is coming up, and that's going to be on consoles as well. Uh, Tyranny, of course, is a PC exclusive just because Obsidian uh, is trying to build that faithful audience that they that has you know cared so much about their work uh, for so long. It's it's awesome to see that that's that's coming around, and Obsidian can only benefit from all that popularity. Right, I agree. 
Yeah. So, uh, other than that, uh, for me, because uh, I mean, is is that it for you though? That's that's pretty much what you've been playing so far. Right. Yeah. I've said enough. Yep. And uh, obviously, I'm still I still it's a long game, so I still or I assume it's pretty long. I'm still working through it. Oh, it's it's obsidian. I think I'm in the, I'm, I think I'm in the middle of like Act Two. I don't know how many acts there are. I assume four. Four. So. Yeah. It's not. A, it's not. A, I'm, just, I'm guessing. I'm just. That's that would be my guess if I had to bet. Oh yeah, and actually, you made me think about something that I forgot to put. Uh, on our ticker here for all the topics because I totally forgot about that thing happening. Um, but yeah, for the, other than that, for me, uh, it's not been a whole lot since our last podcast. I mean, it's only been a week. For me, it was more like um, slowly uh, trying to recover uh, just from playing all these RPGs this year. I was like, I'm just going to take a little bit of a break. But then uh, Extra Life happened this past weekend. Uh, when I, So I started around like 9 o'clock, Saturday morning uh, Pacific time, and then ended maybe around 11 o'clock on Sunday. So I actually went a little bit Ooh. longer. And this was with uh, Daylight Savings time uh, kicking in as well. So I might have gone like about 26 hours instead of the 24 slash 25. With the extra mile. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I tried to put it within my interest to beat the game I was playing, which was Mother 3. I've uh, been ble- meaning to play that game for years. I uh, played only a little bit of it. Uh, originally, uh, which would have been like a couple years ago, uh, but now I wanted to really, I wanted to pick a game that I was interested in playing all the way through, and I'm glad I did it. Um, it was an incredible experience. It had a lot of that trademark humor that Earthbound has, a lot of those you know in jokes and puns and crazy looking um, monsters and uh, just the things you can see out in the world itself. Like for one thing, they've got like these frogs. They're your save points. And they basically do all these different things with these frogs. Like you might come across a frog that's in the toilet and you just knock on the to- on the bathroom door and he's like, you, you want to save? It's now it's not a good time, but you want to <laughs> save. Uh, another one is like, you can find an old frog that's in this retirement home. And he's like, I can sure shave, you know, I can sure shave like the best of them. And then you just, you save <laughs> with him. Or you can find him in like in a barrel or in like uh, in a, in a, in quicksand. It's like really over the top stuff. Uh, the little bit that I saw of your stream, just the writing is just fantastic. It's perfect. I still I mean, haven't played it. Oh, you you really should. I mean, hats off to uh, Mado and all those people at uh, um, Starman uh, that they, they helped uh, do the English translation. Obviously, that's what I was playing, but the fan translation was top-notch. And you, it really made you wish that Nintendo had accepted their you know, offering to take their translation and use that as the official localization. Because, uh, you know, mm-hmm. so many companies do that already. Like, XC's done it. I'm sure Manga Gamer's done it. Uh, Jast's probably done it as well. They take these fan translations. And I know Sakai Project's done it too, where they pay the people that did the translation to use their work in their own, uh, you know, official release. And so I kind of wish Nintendo would do the same, but I don't know. They're super protective. It's been so long that I don't even know if the mother name carries much weight. But because Earthbound Beginnings came out last E3 in 2015, uh, you would hope that they would you know, see it our way and, and bring it over. Because it's such a good game. And I don't know if it was just the exhaustion uh, in me, but the last, say, hour of Mother 3 is super emotional, super powerful. Uh, just like Earthbound was towards its end. But I think Mother 3... It goes one step beyond that, even. And I oh. I actually started to tear up. I couldn't really... I don't know if people can tell on the Steam itself, but I, I, I couldn't really talk too much. I was just too lost in what was happening and getting so you know caught up with the events that led up to that point. I will say it's kind of hard to marathon an RPG like that and still remain you know emotionally invested because you're mostly thinking about how tired you are versus 
you know, what the context is and what led up to this point because it still felt like it was Saturday when it was actually Sunday morning for me. Uh, like, <laughs> oh, that was yesterday. It was like a lot worse a few years ago when I marathoned Final Fantasy VII on the day after Black... Actually, it was the night of Black Friday. I made the weird decision, really bad decision, to go out to Black Friday come home and start my stream at about six o'clock and run for 24 hours nah, uh, i couldn't do that no yeah it's, <laughs> it was a really bad idea because i could see the sun go up and down <laughs> like it went it went it went down <laughs> up and then down again by the time i was done and that really does a number to you and since i was up for let's say 36 hours i had this very bad pressure behind my eyes for another week just because of how tired i was and it was very unhealthy and i i can never do that again but you know, there's something to, to be said about being able to beat a game within that period of time. It's my excuse, really, to play through a game I haven't yet in that short amount of time, which kind of goes against some of the other stuff I've done for marathons, which is like Chrono Trigger and Secret of Mana, because I definitely beat those games before. But I, mm-hmm. I, it was my first time beating like Parasite Eve 1 and 2. That was one of ours. Skyrim, that was the first time I ever played it. it was on the marathon from a couple years ago. All that stuff's on our YouTube channel, by the way, and the Mother 3 playthrough will be up there soon enough, but yeah, Andrea, I really recommend playing. I don't know if you've. Uh, Byron said he'd never played Earthbound, right? Yeah, I've no, only played Earthbound. No Earthbound, no Earthbound Beginnings, n- none of them. Yeah. Oh, and, wow. Andrea, have you. Earthbound's you, a good one. Oh, yeah. Andrea, you've played Earthbound. You just haven't played Mother 3. I would I would say, right. yeah, if you really. Um, it's kind of crazy how that game's like. Or Mother 3 is about, like, what, 12, 13 years old at this point. Um, that uh, it still is incredible. And towards the end, it really made me appreciate. Um, the what it looks like to have like a bigger budget sprite game sprite based game uh just because uh-huh. of how beautiful it looked and how much they did with so little and that's why the game boy advance is pretty much like either my number one or number two favorite console of all time favorite platform just because of i i'm a big you know diehard 2d sprite guy not like you know like not like the one bit style from like indie games it's more like you know the 16 bit and that's exactly mm-hmm. what the game boy advance was like and i just I just wish that they would do some more of that stuff. It's like when you see those Final Fantasy 15 videos and the Final Fantasy 14 videos of them doing like sprite-based, uh, you know, ca- capture of battles and whatnot. That's like, why don't you, you know, do this? Well, how cool would it be if you actually did make a game like this instead of just teasing? Nope. In- instead, you get a mobile MMO. Yeah, or you oh, get like 15. I love that. The, yeah. the 15 bonus thing, the one, isn't it like a GameStop exclusive or something like the bonus, like beat em up type game? Yes, it, it is. I, uh, I will mention though that, uh, was it Jason Schreier of Kotaku posted a screenshot that those sprites are actually in the menu of 15. So you can actually kind of see it okay. every time you open the menu. Uh, you know, that might be a spoil for some people, but you know, that's, that's all it is. It's just, it's, it's on the menu. There's nothing more you can do. Uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's, uh, I just, I just love that. And I would highly recommend people checking out Mother 3. If you're not the one to play it through, you can watch our stream and it's up on our YouTube channel. I didn't talk a whole lot, uh, unfortunately, just because I, I had nothing really to talk about. But um, that way, you guys can probably enjoy those moments more. And and the bad grinding and me dying sometimes it was it was <laughs> it was tough at times to fight through that. But you, were, you had been up for twenty hours, so it's okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I I I was already I was already sleep deprived as it was just because of work and driving so long to get to work that by the time I started my stream, I was just like, all right, I, I woke up at like six o'clock. I'm starting at nine. I'm already tired. Let's go. Uh, Anyway, that's that's kind of the experience that I had, and that's Extra Life 2016 in the books. We'll be doing more videos, of course, uh, soon enough. We've got more Xenosaga coming up, and some other ones that we want to do. And Brian, you said you were going to maybe stream some Tyranny as well? Right, I plan to. Great. Looking forward to that. 
So let's get on to the news now that we're done with talking about our games. Now, uh, we'll talk about a few things first before we get into our biggest news of the day. First off, uh, they did announce that uh, at BlizzCon, at, at their opening ceremony, as it were, uh, they are going to be remaking the original Diablo 1 and Diablo 3. Uh, that's insane and, and brought back so many memories of uh, the original Diablo. I don't know. Have you, have you guys either played the original Di- Diablo? That's the only one I've played, and I played it. I was super little. It was more like I watched my dad play it, and then I just kind of played around and died. So <laughs> I've, I've only played Diablo two. That's 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 good enough. I mean, the, the thing is, is that Diablo two is clearly the better game. Um, right. But Diablo one, I had memories of that game where it was like there was like this one part where you're walking along in these bunch of skeletons, and then you just hear like this boss banging on a door when I was a kid. And that scared the living daylights out of me just because I was so frightened. I could, I had trouble even walking up to the uh, door to fight the boss. Cause I was, I was so scared. It was one of those horror type of genres at the time. Anyway, that, that and like resident evil, that both those games really mm-hmm. got to me as a kid. Uh, it, it would seem weird now looking back, but at the time those were like, you know, cutting edge graphics. So, that's that's kind of the feeling when you got so invested in that but yeah they uh they are going to be remaking diablo 1 in diablo 3 uh diablo 3's engine i should say a lot of people were hoping for like a diablo 2 hd but they didn't announce anything like that um maybe they'll do that or just straight up a diablo 4 yeah diablo 4 that was the biggest thing yeah there's like a th- isn't the first diablo is it only available for like a certain time period within diablo 3 did i read that somewhere I'm not sure. Let me let me take a look. I think and I see read here. that. Uh, I feel like that was a thing. Says, well, for okay. me, like I've never played. Oh, go ahead if you found it. Yeah, I got I got the press release. Celebrate 20 years of Diablo. I'm going to say Diablo as many different times as I can, just because I have that <laughs> speech impediment. By traveling back to the depths of the cathedral where it all began, and this upcoming Diablo 3 Reaper of Souls content update, get ready to explore a monster-filled dungeon 16 levels deep and come face to face with the four main bosses from the original game, all with retro touches like special graphics, filters, and eight-direction character movement. Kind of reminds me about Metagear Solid and Metagear Solid 4. It's like it's not a really mm-hmm. significant thing. It's not like they're taking the whole game and remaking it. It's that they're doing a lot of like callbacks and whatnot to, uh, to make it just like a patch. Um, it says right. it doesn't say anything about it uh, being time sensitive. It just says it will be free to Reaper of Souls owners on both PC and console. So either version you've got, you'll be able to enjoy that. Um, I will also mention some of the stuff. They also announced some other updates uh, to Diablo, th- Diablo 3. Blizzard always being amazing when it comes to releasing patches like years after the fact. Like how they recently made Diablo 2 uh, co- uh, compatible with re- recent PCs and stuff like that. They're really good about that. Um, they um adding a few new things to Diablo 3, uh, including the armory, which will let you store five character loadouts so you don't have to keep manually swapping out all your skills and gear. So it's like a, a quick change. Um, they're going to add uh, seasons on on the console, and that's something that uh, has been happening for like on PC at least for like the past year. Uh, so um, there's a, basically it's like a big competition to see in that season you'll be able to like try to be the first one to hit the max level. And there's like all these other challenge. It's like a big challenge based mode to do all these things you can in a set amount of time. Uh, and you know you get bonuses, you get benefits and bonuses and things like that for being able to complete that challenge. Uh, there's a new tab for crafting materials. Uh, there's no um, challenge rifts. 
And so it just says something like, it'll snapshot an actual player's build from the game each week and let everyone take it for a spin in a static dungeon. So you can actually share your build online and people can download it, which is kind of cool <laughs> in a sense. It's, it's actually, it's mm-hmm. a, that's a pretty neat uh, thing that they added. And then also adding new zones. So it says here, the desolate, fog-enshrouded moors have been occupied by armies and empires over time. Beneath them lies the Temple of the Firstborn, a place of evil unlike anything you've seen before. So yeah, and then also they added the necromancer, which uh, you know that's I think was it like the witch doctor or something like that. Was well, I I was surprised to hear I've never played Diablo three. I've been interested, but I I just kind of assumed it had a necromancer, and I was just answered from my friends like, nope, it had a witch doctor. And like, okay, apparently those are different. That was um, supposed to be like yeah, it was supposed to be like the necromancer, but they have you know it's not the necromancer in the traditional sense. It's it's like it's more you know voodoo magic and whatnot. This is uh, meant to be more like the dark gothic style so that's that's pretty cool that they're going to be doing that uh and that's and that's also all coming to diablo 3 reapers of souls and i've seen that game drop to like 20 bucks a bunch of times who knows mm-hmm. if that'll ever be released as like a playstation plus entry for example but now if, like the, um the necromancer patch is a paid patch but the diablo one is free do i have that right yes it's it's going to be a, a, a patch um and it so... is an event too i just i read that it's limited oh okay it's, uh january and it's going to be yearly Oh, then that then good. I mean, obviously that'll be enough time. But it's if it's going to be free. But yeah, Diablo three. It's a it's a it's called Rise of the Necromancer, and it'll be out next year. Uh, there's no word on like a price or a date necessarily, but it will be added as a playable character. Along with they're going to be adding an in-game pet, uh, two additional character slots, two additional stash tabs, which is for PC only. Uh, portrait frame, pennant, banner, and banner sigil. Uh, so just all those things are going to be added to that. I assume it won't be that much um, because character packs and whatnot. It's not. It doesn't seem like it's that significant in the new zones. It's more like a, if that's that's coming to Reaper of Souls, not just Rise of the Necromancer. So we'll maybe talk about you know ten fifteen bucks traditional expansion pack price maybe, but we'll see. Um, yeah, it, it even mentions here that it's supposed to be more like. Uh, Diablo 3 is going to be more like a service game like Overwatch than a traditional retail product like their older games. So constantly updated with new content as it comes. So yeah, it doesn't seem like Diablo 4 is really in their sights anytime soon, but there's all these other games that are coming out that I'm just as excited for. I recommend checking out Grim Dawn if you haven't already. Uh, So that's that's one thing you could be doing if you're interested in Diablo 4. Grim Dawn is a hell of a game. Uh, and that only came out this past spring too, so it's relatively new. Although it's been in early that's access, twice now. That's twice now. It's come up in the podcast. Now I have to try it. Yeah, it's <laughs> really, really good. I would highly recommend checking that game out. So yeah, that's uh, that's it for the Diablo news. Um, and shortly, we also there was also an announcement earlier today uh, that Final Fantasy Fifteen, a mobile MMO version, is in development from Machine Zone, the makers of Mobile Strike. And that's kind of crazy because it's the third mobile game based on Final Fantasy Fifteen. Because you've got like the um, that pinball game uh, that's that they that they released. I'm I'm not going to name the names because I totally forget what they are. But they got that one. They've got the the GameStop one. Andrea just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Is that is that just the other two? Uh is the GameStop one mobile? I didn't realize it was mobile. Let me see here. I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up. I'm gonna look it up. Yeah. So it's a, yeah the the mobile spinoff okay oh Keen's Night that was the one I was thinking of which it's kind of weird because Keen's Night was actually a game that came out like in the eighties but they they're basically. 
they put Kane's Knight into Final Fantasy 15 as part of the universe. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. Justice Monsters 5. That was the other game I was thinking of. Uh, that that came out. But yeah, Kane's Knight as well also came out. So yes, this is the third mobile game set inside the 15 universe. I mean, you know, Kane's Knight probably isn't directly inspired by it, but I assume characters do show up in that game in, in some fashion. Uh, but let me just re- read the news, what it says here about the 15 mobile game. This is from uh, Gamatsu. Uh, great site if you haven't seen it yet uh, they have not announced the release date or the title of that but it will combine the characters storyline and soundtrack from the console game with machine zones technology which allows millions of people around the world to play together in a single universe in real time it's like was like Pokemon Go what is it? <laughs> it's, not a, it's not an augmented reality game so it can't be um let me see here machine zone has a stellar track record of the mobile gaming space and we're putting Final Fantasy XV in trusted hands. Uh, we'll together create Machine Zone's next great global mobile MMO game. Uh, okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. Machine Zone made Game of War. That's that's a, that's a big thing. And and Mobile Strike. Mm-hmm. So they've got like the two top top two two top five grossing games of all time, pretty much uh, working on this. So clearly. Square Enix continues to like really push the envelope when it comes to like packing this thing uh, full of content, um, and then you've got like in Japan you got like Final Fantasy Type Zero Online and all this stuff. It's it's kind of crazy what they're doing to this game. I don't know your guys' opinion about all, seeing all these mobile games. Uh, the the fluff of it, I can't even keep up. Like you were talking about, you can't remember the names of it. I don't know what's happening around the game anymore. And this is like a thing that I do. I kind of, I wake up every morning and I check video game news and I can't keep up with everything that's happening with 15. And it's getting, it's getting a little tiring. Um, I mean, I'm still excited for the main game, like really excited for it. When you throw everything that you just said on top of the game in some fashion or another being in development for so long, right. It's just kind of like, Oh my God, just, just come out already. Just, just want to, you know, the meat and potatoes. I just want the game. I don't like. I don't really have much of an opinion on the mobile stuff because I'm, I kind of know I'm not really interested in it. Like, mm-hmm. it reminds me of like the fact that they're remaking Final Fantasy XI on mobile, which I imagine is their future plans for that whole game. Just because it's you know phasing out because they stopped making content of, on that game like this right. past spring, if I'm not mistaken, or like maybe like last year. Now it's mm-hmm. like they're going to remake it on mobile. Nexon's working on that. They did post like a. I don't know if it's just a single screen, but uh, maybe a couple. It was more like a slide, I think, um, showing what that game's going to be like. And that's like that's what it's going to be, is the future is going to be on mobile. And I'm sure it's going to sell like a ton of money because it's Final Fantasy on mobile, and Square Enix always dominates the charts with all their games, uh, no matter what they are. So I even, was it Final Fantasy, was it One for All? Was, was that, is that? Oh, my game? gosh. Whatever that was called. All uh, the Bravest? I think yes, that that you know, that was garbage. I could never figure out what was happening. I'm assuming <laughs> it still sold pretty well, even then. Yeah. Even if people were just, like super confused about the weird stamina system and seeing all these different sprites on screen at once and all that. Uh, it's all about record keeper. But you're, we're talking about like you know Final <laughs> Fantasy 15 really pushing it when it comes to the fluff. We also they also released 16 trailers. Showing off of the store exclusive pre-order d- d- downloadable content uh, with Final Fantasy 15. So you've got uh, just to run through the partners. A lot of it is Amazon. Um, you also got uh, uh, PlayStation Network. You got Xbox Game Store, of course, GameStop, and EB Games. And all you know, there's something that comes with all the pre-orders. There's some stuff that goes only with the Square Enix store. 
it's, it's I insane. saw someone unironically ask for a chart, and that's when you know that it's just gone too yeah. far. Yeah. Yeah, it's really gone above and beyond what is normal. And it's the thing is that, you know, they're going to continue to push all the all this pre-ordered DLC. And then with the recent news about Bethesda, you know, talking about that they're going to only send out games, uh, review copies the day before release, it's almost impossible to do that. And then you're going to be chastised if you're not pre-ordering because you're going to mess out, miss out on all this DLC uh, now that we can't, like, post a review up a week or two before, at least with Bethesda. Who knows what mm-hmm. kind of, you know, standard that's going to set. Imagine not being able to see anything about a game and then saying, well, they're going to put all this DLC. I might as well jump on it. And then, you know, some people get bummed out later on. They'll sell the DLC at a discount or, like, um, include it with a Game of the Year edition or something like that. And I've also seen, I haven't verified or whatever, that all the DLC items can be obtained in the game normally or whatever. It's, I don't know. That's, I think five. Yeah. I think five years ago or something, I would have like really wanted to figure out okay, which items do I want or whatever. But now there's just so much, and like I said, the long development time. I'm just like I don't. I'll just get it on some service. I don't really. I'm not going to make the DLC a, a factor in my decision. That's just, right. Yeah. For for me, it's that you know Final Fantasy 15. It was kind of cool because you got like a mount or not. You know, like the what was it the fat chocobo or something. Like I I forget what the pre order DLC. 14? Yeah, fourteen. What was the pre order DLC like? You got a mount, right? Like that was one of the things. Uh, yeah, uh, the pet. big um, yeah, you got the the behemoth mount. Yes, that um, was it. Yeah, but then so. like I I don't see the interest in doing that on a single player game because you you can't show it off to anybody. You know, it's not like it's like one of right. those things. Um, you know, sometimes. Uh, I will admit I have bought DLC for a game before. I very, very uh-huh. rarely do it. I've only done it maybe once or twice, and that was for a game that I wanted to like, you know, beat for review. And I'm like, well, if I put a dollar down, I'll be able to like get this really overpowered weapon and just complete the game on time so I can get the review out. That's the only time I've done it. It's weird because uh, you know we get a game for free. I, we sometimes still end up spending money. I mean, obviously with 14, you uh-huh. have to. I mean, they'll. To be transparent, uh, when they send a review copy for an MMO, they'll typically give you free time uh, to play the mm-hmm. game. And then sometimes, like, was it with Age of Conan? What they did was that they let me. Um, we never did a review for Age of Conan, but one thing they did was they had me. Uh, they let me zone to this area, like this hidden area, where I'd be able to max up my character stats and play around with the different builds, and then get all the equipment throughout the game. It was like this weird, like. It's almost like it was like a private server. Like I could really mess around with my character if I wanted to, and then just have at it with the content uh, around the game. But typically, they'll give you free game time to really, you know, you know, stretch your legs and see how much you can get through before you do your review. Uh, but when it comes to like a single player game, I just don't see the point of getting this DLC other than like you know, prove like was it like showing off to yourself? It, it uh, other than like sharing it on you know Twitter or whatever. I just. I don't see a whole lot of point to a lot of that weapon DLC. I know, you know, Brian, your brother Adam, he has no absolute connection with collector's editions or deluxe editions. He's more like, I'll just buy the game and just experience it the way that it was originally released. But I I just don't see the point. The only thing that would be cool is like if they... uh, Sometimes the only things I really get interested in are like Steelbook editions just Mm because it's kind of cool. But only if they're like about the same price as the uh the game normally is like it's a free upgrade like day one editions that's like right people like to say you know better get that day one edition i think it's been a year dragon quest hero still has released in <laughs> in the day one edition you can still pick that up the day one edition 
and I remember it was a Type Zero HD had like you know you get the free Final Fantasy 15 um, episode disc episode disc guy demo by buying the day one edition of Type Zero, and then even then you would be able to pick that up by March of this past year. So it's it's I, I just don't know. It, it's it's weird thing that I I just cannot recommend people doing like stay away from this stuff don't don't encourage it that's that's my feeling if, if it's i kind of would prefer that those disc packages um had everything kind of on the disc or or in a thorough you know dlc plan rather than you know uh retailer specific stuff but one one thing that i've seen square enix do and a few other companies do that i actually do kind of like is when they tie rewards to playing the demo um, I just think in yeah. general, uh, I just think in general, the whole idea of that, like here, here's our game, try it out. We know you'll like it. Um, you know, they're, they want people to try their demo and say, Hey, play this. We'll give you something for it. And instead of saying, Hey, buy this, you know, isn't, it's just a slight. Yeah. Isn't, isn't world of final fantasy like that? Like you can carry the content over to the main game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some more of that. I just That'd think Pokemon, yeah, Pokemon. Right. Yep. Where they have like a faith in their product and they're saying, "Hey, we've got a demo offer here. You know, try it. We we hope you buy the game. Here's a little incentive for doing it." Rather than just saying, "Hey, pre-order and we'll get you this," it's just I don't know. I think it just it's more palatable. Yeah. I, yeah. I I actually, thinking. I. Oh. oh, go ahead. Sorry, I'm talking. Oh, this. either I, I um I canceled my Ultimate Collector's Edition, the <gasps> one that everybody's like reselling. I just I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to be billed with it. I just got really sick of seeing all the extra stuff pop up for it and my season like I don't get a season pass and all that and I was just like I don't even care to deal with it and I just canceled it and I'm just going to download the game whenever it launches from the PlayStation Network that night let, let me see because <laughs> actually I think it wasn't Aaron mentioned something about this earlier uh, weird okay it's like um, she was mentioned about like there was all that stuff that was being announced but none of it yeah as you said it's not coming to the uh, the collector's edition right Let's see here. Oh yeah, she even made a comment about like all the other stuff that they could be releasing, like Final Fantasy, the shirt, the coloring book, the bath towel, the bed sheet. Uh, I mean, I would be down for a coloring book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's really it's really bothersome that yeah you don't get the season pass with the collector's yeah. edition. You're spending over like two hundred and what sixty dollars or whatever it is. It's almost three hundred, I almost think, with shipping and all that. And I was just like, nah. It's with, Square Enix. With them. Yeah. yeah, they're using Digital River, who charge you a month before it's released, and also it's Digital River, like the people that morally right. screwed everyone with the Nino Cooney stuff, and now they're expecting you to like. They're still using them. Bandai Namco made the smart decision from, to switch from them. To Wait, Amazon. is Square? Yeah, I didn't think Square was still using them. They yeah, are. They still are. Okay. Did uh, okay. Yeah, and the only thing like Bandai switched to Amazon a while ago, and it's great because like their stuff would sometimes show up on Amazon, and you still get like sometimes like the Prime discount. But it's just so right. much easier with Amazon because their shipping and all their customer service is so much better than Digital River. Even if people have had some issues with Amazon in the past. I'm sure, like it's nothing compared to people having issues with Digital River. So oh, I'm still mad about Nino Cooney. I was yeah. one of those people. I was furious, but I also ended up picking it up elsewhere. So like, whatever. What was it like they were playing favorites and giving a bunch of copies to, like specific people, and so other people they ended up like showing up on them, eBay. Yeah, showing on eBay, like people buying multiple copies to resell, and then also like they sold more than they actually had. So mm-hmm. just a ton of issues with that stuff. But, you know, 15 is out in a few weeks. It's kind of crazy how soon it is. Like it's the seventh. It's out in three weeks uh, as of tomorrow. Wow. So that's insane. Fingers uh, crossed. Yeah. And, and, you know, from the recent footage they put out, we were just talking before this podcast about the Omen trailer, how impressive it looked. I mean, it's clearly mm-hmm. a lot of CG, but just 
from the recent game content, it's pretty great. And then also they have another active active time report coming up this Thursday on the 10th of November, uh, which I assume is the last one before release, unless they have another one like the day before, which, you know, what's the point of that? Um, Just because everyone's either going to be out buying it or it's already shipped to them. Uh, That's... That's going to be kind of cool. Uh, I'm sure they'll have like a launch stream at that point, but still. It's all this crazy talk about it, like the untold number of streams they've had for that game, the the mm-hmm. constant delays, the constant, you know, speculation, all this stuff. A lot of it will, you know, come down to what's going to be out on November 29th. It's it's insane to think also the fact that it should have been out 2 months ago, but beyond that, um I think that expectations are so dramatically high for that. And like a week after that, Last Guardian comes out. So it's like smashing together two like long uh, awaited and long anticipated games so close Mm -hmm. together. Um, And all this after the Cubs had already won the World Series after 108 years after not winning. So it's like, was it Jason made the joke like the Cubs won the World Series before Last Guardian came out? You can see the same thing, you know, (laughs) Final Fantasy 15. It's so crazy on perspective but i'm excited and i'm sure like when that podcast rolls around it's going to be we're going to talk a lot about 15 i'm sure so i'm excited mm-hmm. for that some people are actually already playing it right now uh and some have actually already beaten it from what i know so it's it's uh kind of nuts to find out when that's gonna up. don't we don't know what the embargo is so it's curious to see what when we're gonna actually find out final thoughts about that anyway now that we've got our final fantasy discussion out of the way uh let's move into the big news Mass Effect Andromeda. Uh, so, Woo! yes, Andrea's <laughs> particularly excited about this. Now, today was N7 Day, November 7th, but also N7, which is, you know, the Mass Effect Normandy and all that stuff. It's their big day, their big unveiling. Um, although they didn't show a whole lot, uh, they did say that the staff uh, at BioWare... They said did, a lot, though. They said a lot, <laughs> and also that they plan on being way more frequent about their news uh, updates going up until the release next year. Um so let's let's just go right into it. Now today they uh, released their trailer. Well, actually, okay. First, there was a lot of leaks, as you would expect from any big event. Uh, leaking of like the deluxe edition, the collector's edition, um, and some other stuff. And then we finally got to see the new trailer. Uh, so, Andrea, why don't you walk us through what you what, what we what we got to see today? So the trailer, there's very little gameplay in it, so that's kind of disappointing. Um, but you you do really get your first. Well, I guess we saw it at the the PS4 Pro event, but you see both riders side by side, and that's kind of cool. And they're the twins that are sort of taking on um, this galaxy, this new galaxy that is Andromeda. Um, and what's really cool is that Bioware released a this this N seven initiative not N seven Andromeda initiative yes. website, um, and I really like it because um, it helps put the timeline into perspective, um, which was the biggest thing I think since like two years ago. Alex and I have debated where this is going to take place to the T, um, and whenever you're so obsessed with Mass Effect lore that you like remember dates and things like that, you know this. It's really exciting to see them kind of indulge that. So this yeah. takes place um, right after, shortly after the Turian, well, not shortly after the Turian War, but um, a little after Mass Effect 1 prior to Mass Effect 2. So the Turian War has happened. Um, the events of the Mass Effect, like the first Mass Effect have happened. Yeah. Um, and so remembering that going into the trailer, and you see just a little bit, I guess, of um, the new the new 
what are they called species um of aliens and i think in the uh the game informer they they called them what are they called the ket yes the ket or the cret it's ket right i think it's ket i think it's ket um i had that thing pulled up and now i can't remember i'm pretty sure it's ket um i don't there's so much happening in that trailer and it's so fast and flashy that it was difficult to kind of decipher, but I compared it. There's that gaff thread that has yeah. all the really good notes. It is from Kett, the by Game the Informer yeah, interview. Sorry. Yes, it's okay. It's it's K E T T is is the name, capital K. Yeah. Um. There's that one part in the trailer where it's like a big snake tentacly thing destroying <laughs> things. Um. Don't I? I want to believe it's a Thresher Mall, but they're very far away from the galaxy that had Thresher Malls, so probably not. Um. But they said that there's super bosses in this game. And so I was kind of hoping that some of that stuff that we saw a glimpse of was that. Because that's really cool. I like this idea that I can go exploring in this um, beefed up Mako. Hopefully it's not trash. That's my biggest fear, I think. I feel like they they wouldn't bring it back unless they were confident that it would not be reminiscent of the Mako. Right. The the Game Informer interview, I don't know if you guys had a chance to look at that yet. Uh, they brought in the Need for Speed guys to look really? at it. Really? Are you talking yeah. like, oh, for the, for the, yeah, for the Nomad, as it were. Yeah. Now. It's not yeah. the Mako, it's now the Nomad, but for the, the racing segments. I mean, from friends I know, people I know that love racing games, didn't think Need for Speed was such a great game, that recent one. But they did say the racing was really fun. And so, like, that they get that sense of speed, I guess, is important in the Nomad. I thought it was more like, you know, it's like a... Uh, exploratory device a vehicle in a sense but maybe it's just the drop the handling like because my biggest problem with the mako is the handling yeah, I like think that was everyone's yeah, a big I, right because i mean I, I would drive backwards forever and be like why am i so slow and yeah, i can't tell the front of this car from the back of this car it's <laughs> like, so squirrely it's just you can easily like fly over on, on like this like tiny little bump all of a sudden you go flying off it's, <laughs> it's so bad at times but it, it, the concept was cool and i did like really i do still think mass effect was my favorite and part was the mako stuff mm-hmm. just because it was kind of cool being able to explore missions and because like all the trailers in the past year have been so focused on you know going for an exploration like you know everything from like they show like the lunar launching and all that stuff like the the big when they show like the, the space shuttles launching and all it's like it's it's big focus on exploring the every corner of the galaxy i mean that's that's exactly what mass effect has always been but in this this case it seems like they're really putting way more emphasis in in that whole style because like in mass effect one when you were able to like you know drop a mako and go over every all those planets and two and three they dialed it further and further back to the point where you're just sending out like those um i forget what they're called but sending out those uh Pins that just you know search up each planet for materials and resources and that's about it like you don't get to know mm-hmm. more i love the flavor text they did for that stuff especially if you go and find stuff in the milky way but um they didn't really do so much of that so i really hope this means that you know it's they do more with that and then also the actual planets you visit are more than just you know bunch of bunch of like rocks and stuff like that that don't really do right. much like it's really kind of bland at times uh by design they address right. that no yeah. no planet scanning please yeah no planet scanning that was it was <laughs> kind of you know it was like grinding it was kind of nothing at some point they did address that in the game informer thing they said that the one of the biggest things that they heard was that you just feel like you're exploring but you're exploring this big dead 
open world yeah. like that there's nothing there to explore you're just kind of like aimlessly driving for a long time uh so it sounds like they're gonna fix that and i do this setup seems perfect for that just sort of like i mean, I mean you're called the pathfinder so i mean it, yeah it's it's 2185 I, uh, like, yes. Yeah, twenty one eighty five uh, is whenever the Andromeda Initiative is scheduled to launch. So it says this timeline thing right here, um, and then so it's six hundred years after that. So this is long after Mass Effect three is over. And as far as we know, they don't know what happened. I mean, I would really like no. to see how they handle that if they do at all. Um, I mean, I guess they think things are still peachy on the other end over there. Um, but you, you are going into this really big unknown. Um, and I like that. And I like that about Ryder, that Ryder is not Shepard at all. When you play Shepard, you're immediately like this big prestigious person. You're an N7. You have all of these accomplishments that you set up from the first one. Ryder is just kind of like, it sounds like they're kind of under their father's legacy because he's an yes. N7. But they're nothing like the, the siblings don't seem like anything special. Did they? They're did just they ever? Oh, I'm sorry. No. Oh no, you're fine. Go ahead. Oh yeah, I was going to ask. Did they mention whether Mass uh, the uh, Andromeda Initiative, which is their big mission to send people mm-hmm. out, as you said, to this new this different galaxy to see if they can, uh, you know, explore? Did they ever mention if that t- took place before they found out Shepard was alive? Because spoilers in in Mass Effect Two, it began in 2183, but then you know everything was put on hold for a couple years um mm-hmm. and that's in 2185 is when mass effect 2 starts so did they say whether it's like it happened before they knew shepherd was alive and so they decided you know we can't keep waiting around for this guy who's gonna you know potentially save us uh we have to go and explore a, a different reaches of the galaxy because they right andromeda does like they know that the reaper war is happening in the first place they don't even know who the reaper are most likely and so that's i wanted to i wondered if they ever uh, addressed that at all Right, so I've seen people debating that too, um, because Mass Effect, the first one, is still very much no one believes Shepard, even if they even know what Shepard's going on about. Because oh, really, the, Shepard's, the council, yeah, really right. Did. Shepard's dialogue is really just with the council, so everybody else is just kind of in the dark. Um, it's not until later Mass Effect two that you kind of establish this, who the Reapers are. Um, kind of in that sense. Um, and it's not until Mass Effect three until you really come in contact with the reapers a lot more i mean you see sovereign um in the first one but that's it you don't experience all these other fights like in the third one um so it'd be interesting to know how much they know but they haven't really established that as far as i've heard um but i think it would be kind of cool for them to go into it thinking that everything is still peachy on the other side (laughs) and not know what actually all went down that huge war that fight and almost the eradication of all of those races um i kind of want to i want them to be dark on all of that and i kind of want this to be its own story absolutely and well so let's go ahead and run down some of the big points that came out of that game of four moon interview i've got the gaff throw it up so a couple of different things uh that we actually already knew from the trailer itself uh turians are mm-hmm. confirmed in the game i knew you were particularly yes. about that uh <laughs> yes you're your boyfriend um and then also uh they did say each arc which there are four arcs that are part of the andromeda initiative there are four of them uh your character mm-hmm. scott or sarah Ryder, as you mentioned um are the ch- who are the children of alec Ryder, who was in the very first trailer for mass effect andromeda the person that was staring out in space before he turned around and hit something on his wrist and continued on i forget the name of the uh device and then johnny cash johnny cash <laughs> ghost riders in the sky yes with plane. <laughs> they really wanted to lay that in that was 
one of the better trailers in the past few years for sure uh just because of that song part of it uh just because everyone was so excited to know more about mass effect to begin with but yeah so it, you know people who don't know about this is that alec Ryder, your dad and you got these two kids they all exist in the game so whether you play as the male protagonist or the female protagonist, uh, the other person will exist in that game in some fashion. They haven't really spent too much time on that stuff because it's a story, you know. You don't really want to spoil everything before it's out. But just know that the whole dynamic is going to be between you, your family, uh, which I think is a great way to really, you know, lay it into that story development, the character development. Because it's like, okay, this person actually matters. I'm not just like a, a husk, like a, 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 this person that could barely be addressed uh, as opposed to like in Mass Effect, where it's like you're Shepard, you're always going to be Shepard, male or female, you're you're Shepard. Um, whether you want you know same sex or opposite sex relationships, it's going to mm-hmm. be the same thing. Um, let's see here, and also uh, let's see here. Um, events at the start of the game occur, the past will dance you. Uh, let's see, you can customize your father and your sibling, though not as extensively uh, um, as against your own. So if you wanted them to look kind of similar or incredibly different, I don't know. Uh, also, I thought that was cool. Absolutely. You can make your own store in this game. How can that right. not be cool? Uh, yeah, and then they mentioned the Mako far improved. The, the loyalty, loyalty missions of Mass Effect 2 is going to be back, and it's going to have the multiplayer of Mass Effect 3. So basically taking the best parts of both those games and putting them into this one. Uh, of all three games, in fact, because obviously the Mako from the first game. Uh mm-hmm. Global cooldowns are now, and we'll talk about combat now. Global cooldowns are replaced with individual timers, um, hotkeyed. It's, a lot of this is just, you know, uh, technical jargon that I'm not going to spend too much time. You still queue up attacks, um, game informer. The jetpack, I think. Yeah, the, the jet. Biggest. Exactly. The jetpack allows you to hover. Also, you can hit enemies with it. Uh, <laughs> and then you can uh, quick dash instead of rolling so you can just like do a burst of speed and likely knock enemies off into the abyss <laughs> sometimes I guess which <laughs> will be playing kind of funny when you're talking about like some places with like zero gravity uh, just knocking at a bunch of uh, environments <laughs> and this is like the the people who don't know this is the um the frostbite engine the one that the most recent release that was the uh, put on battlefield one and so the fact that and it's gorgeous it's gorgeous and i kind of hope that you know they said recently that there's no plans to that i wonder if they will release it eventually on the nintendo nintendo switch partially because mm-hmm. i like the idea of taking that game with me wherever i go um but also the fact that they were able to scale battlefield 4 down to the ipad mini uh nothing is prevented them from doing the same thing with the nintendo switch it just kind of depends i guess about their relationship because ea said was that when Wii U came out, it was an unprecedented partnership that didn't seem to go anywhere. Um, <laughs> but before I go off of to that, uh, let's continue on with the other bits here. The class system is gone. Instead, you have you have full access to all the abilities from all the classes, so you can mix and match. That's one thing I wanted to comment on. I, I'm not 100% sure how I feel about that. I, I kind of like class systems, so I'm always a little bit bummed, like, oh, it's going away. But obviously, you kind of have to see what they're replacing it with before you really make too much of a judgment, but... Yeah, it's gonna be kind of interesting about like the multiplayer aspect. Like, there's no, there's not gonna be any weak classes necessarily. It's gonna be a lot of like jack of all trades type of thing. Uh, even Destiny still continues on with like these classes, and so I don't know about, yeah, as you said, doing all these different things. Um, I mean, there is, if I'm not mistaken, there was a class in Mass Effect that you could pretty much do whatever. Uh, but right. in here, it's like you can just do whatever. It kind of reminds me of like 
Final Fantasy 15, uh, 13, excuse me, gave you this illusion that you could do whatever you want, but at the end of the day, you just really wanted to stick to your one class because otherwise it was kind of hard to branch out. I don't know how they're going to approach that with Mass Effect. If it's that, you're going to start as someone who's, uh, you know, sort of strong in these particular areas, whether that's down to your race or, uh, or species or just generally you're going to be able to put the stats wherever you want. I guess that's cool for like RPG. Like Other than the classes, it's like you can be whatever you want. The Game Informer interview actually touched on it a lot. So you still have all of those key, like, adept, biotic, whatever, so-and-so. Like, those are all still in the game. So you still kind of have those classes, but your skill tree branches out into them. So you can be a little adept and just, like, go full crazy biotic. Or you can switch it up and go half and half. Or you can, like, spread yourself kind of thin amongst several different ones. Um, so, So I kind of like it based on hearing that. Um, the skill tree thing I think is cool. It's just like, uh, it strikes me more of like a sphere grid or something. If you want to like hop over here and put some points into this and have Yuna spam fire a lot, then yeah. Um, Oh, so it's like, is it kind of the thing where it's that if you put enough stats into a particular thing, then all of a sudden you start to become more adept to that? Yes. Okay. That's, that's really cool. I like that idea. Um, and that Mm -hmm. kind of, in a sense, resolve some of the concern you have, Brian. It's that it's like you could start doing whatever you want, but at a certain point, mm-hmm. you're going to be kind of, you know, funneled into a particular thing based on your own doing. Not like the game's forcing you to do that, but but your own chance. Like, well, I like to being able to say, you know, use my bionic powers, but also I'm more of like an up and up close person as opposed to this other guy who might be more. Like, I like to do really ranged attacks. Yeah, you can really personalize above, what you want, right? Yeah. So that's it's more like it's more broader in a sense, not like very specific characteristics. Like you can broadly be whatever you want to be. That's that's mm-hmm. kind of neat. Um, and then you know some of the other things. Uh, just generally speaking, critical paths, optional planets, major hubs, and loyalty, loyalty missions, like we already mentioned, um, will return as well. And I think Andrew, you actually, I was looking on Twitter. You mentioned this a little bit too. Is that they got rid of the morality system? Yes, they did, and that was one of my biggest problems with mass effect as a whole is this morality system because it's just so silly like to gamify like this idea of morality like you have so many points into your blue and so many points into your red and for the way shepherd is characterized by everybody else not by your own choices but by the people around him or her um some of the the um, the renegade choices are just so out there that I have a really hard time believing that a lot of people but would be like, "What the hell are you doing? Like, what are you talking about? This makes no sense." <laughs> what? So it's a, it's a, it really, especially the Overlord spoilers, but like the Overlord mission in particular, you can leave this poor guy who's been abused with this awful scientist, and I have a really hard time believing that Shepard would ever do that. Um, but if you want to go full Renegade, you can do that. But that's not how Shepard is characterized outside It's like of comically, uh, you know, evil yeah, or whatever. Yeah, it's like really, right. very, like, it's, it's like, you know, apples and oranges. Like, you're very distinct, like, way on the opposite ends. Like, it's hyperbolic in nature. It's like, either extreme to this or extreme to that. Right. Not much of a... You can, like, under, I, yeah, I understand that some of the choices are just kind of making player character off as selfish or greedy or something. But then there's just, like, diabolical maniac like, or whatever. Right. This person just randomly punched this reporter. <laughs> no, I mean, right. Sometimes it can be really funny. Like, there's a lot of really good videos that came out of doing that stuff. But at the same time, it's like, when you're trying to be a little more serious about getting into a game, it's like, it's really... Really hard to be renegade when you're just 
pummeling people left and right and just being like a really sarcastic asshole. I mean, some people like being right. like that, but at the same time, it's like there's ways to do that without coming across as like cartoonish. Absolutely. And then in the Game Informer interview, they were talking about how this is going to be more ambiguous. So instead of red or blue, maybe the options are more purple. Wait, that is what red and blue are, right? Yeah, yeah pretty yeah. much. Okay. That's a, yeah, it's, it's fine. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, so maybe you're somewhere in the middle. Um, instead, and it, it shouldn't be as obvious and you should think more about it in, as instead of terms of very good or very bad. Absolutely. So. And uh, other than that, um, they didn't reveal any real new partners i mean they did they did give a sense of the story and some of the major players in that but we still only know was it pb which is the sorry squad mate they showed in the footage and then liam uh which is apparently a former police officer and described as having a, a light attitude bringing levity to situations um so those are the only two people that we know so far that are still in your crew mm-hmm. i'm sure we'll find out soon enough about the others um and also when you scan planets because this is a new galaxy andromeda or at least a new place for the humans to explore anyway uh, when you scan planets, they become like fast travel points. And then they also really touched upon the Tempest, which is your ship, and the uh, what roles it will play. For one thing, there's going to be no loading screens uh, as you move throughout mm-hmm. the ship, so no weird elevator to kind of break it off. Not that the Normandy had many load screens <laughs> to begin with, but the ones that were there, they kind of got rid of them. And I assume it's just going to be that the ship is going to be bigger too. Um, now that they are not, you know, handicapped to old systems, they've got a whole new the system. The ship is smaller. Really? Okay. Yeah, the ship. <laughs> it's smaller. Smaller yeah. than the normal. I guess it's, there's no, yeah. is there just one floor now or something? It's, um, well, well, maybe you can actually explore it bigger, but they said that they wanted the, the, what is it called again? The Tempest. Yeah. To feel smaller because it's, um, a, what do they call it? A scout ship. It's not oh, what the Normandy yeah, is. And like they a, want it to feel. A cruiser. Right. Like a battleship. Yeah. And you don't give like a big powerful ship like that, I guess, to someone who is who is Ryder. Like Shepard, yeah, of course, Shepard's an in seven, but this is just Ryder. Oh, um, yeah. Shepard's built to like fight uh, as opposed to right. Ryder, who's more like I, you need to explore these different areas. We can't have you like we need you to be fast and you know quick about this. We can't have a really low like slow lumbering thing that you can right. travel around in. Um, and, you know, some of the other things was kind of cool that they talked about that the galaxy map returns, but rather than piloting like a mini ship on a map, it's more immersive. Mm-hmm. So you select a planet, game gives you a sense of like traveling towards that planet. And when you back out, you're immediately there. Uh, so that's pretty crazy. It's uh, clearly like a fast travel system. But the I assume like when you're going in and out of that map, that's all the loading that it does. It's going to be in between those shots. I assume that the music is going to be as damn good as it was in Mass Effect when you actually go into that map. Um, yeah, it says uh, you don't pilot the ship manually, but it feels seamless as you go from planet to planet uh, See mm-hmm. and see them from your bridge getting closer in the window. So you actually get to look out the windows. There's actually windows in this thing. That you can look out and see the planets uh, getting closer. That's so cool. Yes, that's that's perfect. Uh, that's a really good way to you know build that atmosphere that they're really trying mm-hmm. to nail down. Um, yeah, and also says like you know they really want to see this experience from picking a planet to walking down to your cargo hold, hopping onto the nomad and landing on a planet. So it's kind of reminds me when I saw like star citizen, you know, it seems like you're going to be able to like um, go through these air ducts, uh, air ducts, but actually the, the cargo hold and be able to drop down to this planet that you saw out your window, just like a moment, a moment ago. So that's a normal. It says normal loading screens instantly popping up on the surface of a planet. So you actually get to see yourself going down to the planet like landing on maybe like a 
either like a dock or even like a star uh, uh, like a, a space station actually seeing your uh, scout ship drop down onto that and then walking out it's kind of hard to tell what what they really mean by that is actually is there going to be like no more cutscenes, like seeing the ship land or are you going to be able to re- witness all that in real time did they ever say anything like that I don't think they said anything like that. Um, they were just kind of in the game informant. That that's pretty much all they said about the travel, um, getting ready, uh, getting rid of some of the more clunkier things and streamlining it that way. Yeah, and other than that, um, they also really touched upon the relationships and the characters. This is one of my favorite lines. And yes. This is what Alex brought up: the squad mate with the least amount of lines in Andromeda has more lines than the squad mate with the most amount of lines in Mass Effect Three. There's going to be a lot of talking or a lot of like, I love that development. Yeah, so that's that's pretty amazing. Um, it also says like yeah. You're, we mentioned before about how you can have a sibling. That sibling won't join you in combat, but you can be able to interact with them and build a relationship with them. Uh, I assume it's going to be all like, you know, uh, it's not going to be anything more than just a brother-sister relationship. Uh, knowing this, I don't know, this universe, who knows? What oh, God! Gonna, yeah, let's not, let's not think about that too much. Um, well, to be honest, I didn't know that. I assumed that you were determining the gender of the son or daughter of Alec Ryder. I didn't realize that both characters existed and you pick one of them. Like I yes. didn't, I I didn't quite get that until yeah, today. Yeah, the, the fact that you get to customize what they look as well. So yeah, maybe they're like n- not blood related relatives at some point. Because at, at some point, how much customization is like like siblings like kids from a different mother kind of thing children from a different mother i don't know how they're going to be able to really pull that off but we'll see um mm-hmm. okay yeah so it says loyalty mission loyalty missions return but they are not critical to the ending of the game you can complete them after you complete the main story path for example so you can actually beat the game and still go back and do those missions if you wanted to which mm-hmm. is cool um it's i guess though it's like uh, what is that going to do with like the relationships that you build from that. I assume a lot of people do those loyalty missions because they want to actually, you know, develop a relationship with them. It's not so much that they wanted to do that just because they have to, although I'm right. sure there's a lot of people who do it just because they want to experience it themselves. Like the whole... I mean, you- it does make so- it does make you wonder about if how, how like divorced are those loyalty missions from the main, you know, thread or whatever, if you can do them after... Just you know, interesting. I wonder how they'll just compartmentalize all that. <laughs> I also you can do that in the first. I mean, you can do that in Mass Effect too. But it's honestly, if you don't do the loyalty missions in that game, I think it's a bad game. Oh <laughs> like, yeah, you you miss out on all of that stuff. You can skip right to the the main story stuff, but there's like nothing there if you do that. Yeah. So it's it's like what's what's the species that was on near extinction in mass effect i forget what it's called is it the the geth no not the geth but the the wreck the wreck yes it's that um that was like some of the best storytelling in mass effect 2 was that mm-hmm. character and you know with rex and so being able to witness all of that a lot of that had come from the loyalty missions and not to mention mass effect 3 uh some of the other stuff mass effect 2 really played into that stuff and i think that's what people love that game so much is the character development so getting rid of that would play a different part oh and i also want to mention that um and this is kind of i made fun of it just a moment ago but the loyalty missions don't just culminate in a sex scene but other characters can just (laughs) want to get in the sack while others are interested in long-term relationships and others still aren't interested at all so whether even if you spent all this time with like say like uh, I was it like shooting bottles with Garrus moments of the game? Of course, of course, there are plenty. So they wanted to capture more of those types of moments. So Shepard can't get in bed with Garrus. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm sure you're going to be bummed out. 
of course Garrus, a riot. Garrus is not even in this game so who cares <laughs> um yeah and then it talks about the multiplayer mode uh it's gonna be have a card-based economy where you earn xp and credits there are microtransactions, but no real world money is required you can unlock normally although that's kind of cool at the same time it all comes down to how much grinding you're going to have to do to actually like mm-hmm. unlock stuff. Because if it's not required, it sounds like it's still going to be there. Uh, and it kind of reminds me of Street Fighter Five in that you have to do a lot of, mich- of matches to uh, get some of those characters or do those like that, you know, that survival mode that they've got. You have to get through so many matches before you can actually earn some money. But that seems quite a bit. Um, and it seems like it's a totally separate thing. You play as the Apex Force and Militia Strike Team from the Nexus. So it's all these like other things here. And they've got multiple currency systems and all this stuff. I didn't really mess with the multiplayer in Mass Effect 3 or 2. So I don't know about you know how interesting that was. I don't know if you guys played it either. I did. Um, Just it's a okay. little bit. I heard it was okay. It's, yeah. I it was a lot of people that I'm friends with, a lot of people did seem to like it. It's just, my problem with it isn't that there's multiplayer in a single player game or whatever. That's great. That's cool. Added value, whatever. It's that prior to the patch and all that, you had to play the multiplayer to get your preparedness up, your readiness up, so you could beat the game. Like, the multiplayer impacted the single player story's outcome. Like, the end of it. And that's awful. But um, in the Game Informer um, interview, they said that that won't happen again. Good. So, that's, that's pretty <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, finally, uh, outside of all that other information that they posted, it's that the kind of things that they left us hanging on is that new game plus uh there'll be one mm-hmm. and that you'll be able to change your gender if you so choose so if you don't want to play the same game with the same uh gender character you can switch it if you want which i think is cool just for the sense of like mm-hmm. well i can keep all my stats but i want to kind of either role play or just straight out experience the story as a completely different um perspective and i think that's great and then mm-hmm. it says Bioware was coy about multiple endings, and all they would tease that is that it's a surprise. It's different than the trilogy. I hope so, because I don't think anyone liked the endings. Uh, so, uh, I did. You, got. <laughs> you did? Yeah. Yeah, I'm like the only person that said it's okay. I thought it was all right. I think it was people were very hyperbolic about Mass Effect 3's ending. Sure. I think like... people had the right take, and like I think it's, you know, it's not a. I think they're just overly dramatic about it. Like when I was going uh, into the Mass Effect yeah. 3 ending, I. Like, okay, I hear this is an awful ending, and, like, I end up with a disappointing ending. Like, I think they're just, they, I don't know, internet tends to crank things up to 11 when they don't always need to. Right. It's kind of, and, I don't know, yeah, it's kind of bizarre how that happens. And I'm also really interested in the story because it's, like, it's kind of insane to think about that all these people banded together to leave as soon as the reapers are coming in. <laughs> so it's like mm-hmm. this, uh, this crazy coincidence that this is going to happen. I don't know how much they're really going to play into it. Cause if people in Andromeda don't know anything about the reaper, it sounds like Bioware is going completely uh, separate with the whole, like whatever they have planned for future entries as well. And that you can be completely oblivious to the mass effect series and just jump into Andromeda and have a perfect time with that, which, you know, is the only real way that they can go forward with that. Um, if they want the mass effect series to be another pillar for EA and, and Bioware, of course. So I'm, 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 I'm going to be, I'm very interested to see what they're going to make out of it and how original it's going to be with all of its ideas so far from what we've talked about today. It sounds like it's going to be a lot different while still retaining some of the best parts that people fell in love with. So mm-hmm. that's about it. Uh, they did. Show I guess off- the last thing I'll yeah. say is that I don't know. I don't know if you were going to mention this, but yeah. I guess the main gameplay 
uh, on the unveiling or whatever is going to be at the Game Awards on yes. December 1st. Yes. That's, that's actually what I was going to mention. Yeah, the Game Awards, which I think is on December 3rd. Is that it? I thought it was the 1st. Oh, the 1st? Oh, yeah. I think December 3rd, I think, is the... Uh... Let's see. Yes. December 1st, you're right, at 5.30 p.m., mm-hmm. but that's when it starts. Uh, yeah, PSX is December 3rd. My bad. Yeah, that's PlayStation Experience. That's they'll probably show the same footage like they do like they i remember going to the game awards and seeing some of the same trailers on on the psx on their during their press conference when they showed that off i mean clearly it's this week playstation 4 pro comes out too so that's that's something to look forward to that's that's how is that tomorrow right that's tomorrow is it i think so i haven't been following I'm gonna look but yeah, that. like Digital Foundry and all those places have already have tons of previews on how certain games run on PS Pro. So oh no, it's on Thursday. Have... Yeah, sorry, I don't oh. cut you off, but uh, no problem. I was just rambling. Yeah, no, no you're right. Uh, no, that's yeah, that's out on, on the 10th, and yeah, Mass Effect Andromeda is going to have the the patch as clearly as we saw it on the PS4 Pros unveiling. But yeah, that's out this Thursday. So... Oh, poor Tyranny is going to get buried. Oh, well. <laughs> and you know Final Fantasy 15 Active 5 report is going to be buried now nah, it's I don't know about Tyranny being buried it's yeah I think we'll be fine uh, who knows Maybe a different we'll audience just... PC audience versus yeah. the Sony audience you know yeah 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 exactly and you need to own a 4K TV uh, but at the same time you know it's almost impossible at this point for developers to make 4k render like rendering games in 4k that even it struggles heavily on pc so at the same time mm-hmm. like people's expectations of 4k gaming is so out of the scope of where it currently stands so uh, in either sense i'm excited to see more about that i'm looking forward to like the in like the demos and the um you know in-store footage of mass effect andromeda running off of a playstation 4 pro because none of us got to see it alex did like he got to see that stuff himself in person in London. Lucky so, bad. yeah, lucky bastard. So, but yeah, I was going to mention other than that, they did show off like the deluxe edition and the collector's edition. The collector's edition is a remote control nomad. The as we just mentioned, the vehicle that was the um, the uh, the Mako, but it as the remote control car, a steel case, but not the game. And it's two hundred. You can get it with the game. You can get it with the game. How much more uh-huh. is it? Uh, it's like 50 more, I think. So it's literally just buying the game. Like it's, it's really not it, worth it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it, there's, there's a Bioware thing like on the Bioware website, you can be like package with the game or not. And I, I looked at it and I was, it's cheaper for me to get that and then get the mispriced Amazon one that I got. <laughs> so, oh yeah. Oh yeah. You, you got took advantage of that. Oh, yeah, earlier, Mass Effect yeah. Andromeda's deluxe edition was at an Amazon prime price mistake. We can get it for $48, which is, more than 20% that it was supposed to take off the $70 retail price, which would have made it 56 They made it 48 yeah. thinking the price was 60 I've done that a few times um, with taking <laughs> advantage of that, so I'm glad someone did. Uh, but yeah, it's I think it's just weird because like, the Nomad's such a new thing that it slightly resembles the Mako from Mass Effect, but I feel like every time you're going to have that thing out and moving around, you're going to have to explain where it comes from because otherwise people yeah. are like, what's this? You can just put a sticker on a remote control car and have the same effect at this point. It's not as. I did mention I'd, let, I'd rather see like a Normandy drone. <laughs> That's it's in Java, so they couldn't do that either. So yeah, it's I don't know. It, it didn't cool. seem worth it to me, but you know, people, it's your money. You do what you want with it. Also, I like the box. Yeah, the box. The box is pretty cool. Uh, the, the standard edition Mass Effect Andromeda box looks better than the deluxe one. It's oh, it does. A pretty damn good looking box. Um, also. 
they did put up today that Mass Effect 2 and 3 are now backwards compatible on the Xbox One, but also uh, it's that Mass Effect 2 and 3, I believe, are also available on EA Access subscription for free. Uh, it's, it's available on the EA Access vault, so you can get that. Uh, yeah, and it's just like PS Plus and that if you cancel your EA Access subscription, you lose access to those games. But, you know, it's if I'm not mistaken, it's like 10 bucks a month to subscribe mm-hmm. to that in the first place. And that seems... It seems worth it at this point. And I've heard that games. the EA Access version of those games does have all the DLC. I, oh. I, I haven't confirmed that, but I've heard that. So oh, that, well, that seems like good. a good deal. Yeah, right? on the site. Because the, the DLC situation on a lot of those games is like really kind of... People are wondering, where's the collection that puts it all together? And it right. hasn't quite happened yet. Mass enjoy, Effect's yeah. one of the few games that I bought the DLC for and did not regret it. That's what um, I was but ask. it's it's also been several years since that came out, so it should be cheaper by this point. But it's not cheaper when you go to buy it. Um, but but it is like some of them are, are hours and hours of gameplay more, and the stories are just a, as compelling as the main game. So what would you recommend people play the first DLC? Like the first DLC they should play out of all those two and three. Oh gosh, um, Broker. I do. Broker, I love Shadow Broker, um, but I do think my favorite is Overlord. I've heard really good things about that too. So mm-hmm. Overlord and Shadow Broker. I mean, I would, it sounds like you should play both of those anyway. I mean, you should play all the DLCs. Yeah. Some of them are, I assume, weaker than the others. But those two, I've heard really yeah. damn good things about. So even if you already beat two and three, I and you didn't touch the DLC, sounds like if you already have a, a subscription to EA. I remember the DLC for for one being kind of forgettable. Broken yeah. Sky, whatever it's called. I, I, it's not that great. I, I would two and three are the ones that I really like. Three has the Citadel DLC, which is just like absurd fan fiction in the game, but it's awesome. I love it. So, uh, so yeah, that's that's it for Mass Effect. Uh, our coverage on that for now. Um, as as we mentioned, Bioware is going to be revealing more and more information about that in the coming days. Uh, we still we still only know it as having a March 2017 date. I don't know. if... Um, there was like a mention that it might be what was it march 21st my 21st. birthday yeah march 21st yeah that's we just made for for you March 21st that was like the date people were thinking might be the nintendo switch release date as well i, I get that, that and could, we celebrate mm, uematsu's birthday that launch title birthday. for the switch it, that and also i think matt if i'm not mistaken the monster hunter uh double cross whatever it is which is a terrible name uh in a sense uh double cross which I guess in sense like it's double crossing 3DS players to play it on the Nintendo Switch. It's only announced for the 3DS, so maybe that'll also come to the Switch. So maybe they're just lining up games to announce for the Switch, which we won't find out more until on January 12th when that's going to have more news. But we shall see. Other than that, um, that's it for the news. Then that's it for a podcast. So let's kind of wrap things up here about where you can find us. We are, of course, at RPGSite.net. Uh, you can find all the news from today about Mass Effect and also about you know some of the stuff we've talked about. Also on Twitter at RPGSite. You can also find us on YouTube.com slash RPGSiteNet. Like I mentioned before, we'll have the footage from the Extra Life 2016 stream. But also we've got the Xenosaga stream up there too. Part 2 will be up and uh, by tonight. Um, it'll be up on on our and there and we have some other stuff planned too some cool list videos uh, that we have plans for you can also find us on facebook.com slash rpg site net subscribe to us on itunes and your favorite android podcast player just search for tetracast it should be pretty easy we've got enough episodes that it's been easier to find us and then finally we'd like to 
mention our Discord. A uh, simple link to get to that is discord.me slash RPG site. Uh, you'll find a link there and you can go straight to our channel. We can find a lot of people that are talking, a lot of people who have the same type of interest. I'm sure all our listeners do. It's a great place to be. Uh, and they're always really excited anytime there's a piece of news out. So if you want to be on top of that stuff and you're not always around Twitter, Discord's a place to be. It's like an RSC. You'll enjoy it. Uh, and finally, once again, I'd like to thank my guests, Andrea, Brian. Thank you so much for being a part of this. It was great. Thanks for having me. I don't thank think we could have done this without either of you guys. <laughs> um, but that's it for this episode of the TetraCast. Once again, we'll be doing this more frequently, so just be on this. Uh, uh, you know, stay tuned for that. But thank you very much for joining us. Catch you all next time. <laughs>